Okay. First Timothy. We talked about it last week. Um, oh, turn it on. We talked about last week that Timothy was his son in the ministry. Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and that's what this is about. It's a personal letter. It's not a letter that got circulated to all the churches. It's a letter to Timothy. I, I don't doubt that some people read the letter, but it was meant for, like Paul to his son, uh, Timothy. Not literal son, but his son in the ministry. That's what he called him. So chapter 3 says... This is a faithful saying. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, Paul uses this, that phrase, in all three of these pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and and Titus. He uses it, we've already seen it in chapter 1. It's here in chapter, the beginning of chapter 3. It's going to be in chapter 4, and we'll look at that in just a second. It's in 2 Timothy 2.11, it's in Titus 3.8. This, this, this is a faithful saying. And I think that what it means is it's a, it's a saying that is something you depend on. In, uh, in a little bit, he's going to talk about old wives' tales. And there are sayings that people may, they may be, be even familiar to people. But what he was saying is, the funny thing is, this isn't, that statement is not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament or Old Testament. Um, but Paul uses it frequently in these three letters. This is a, a what? She's in Proverbs a lot. This is a faithful faithful saying? saying. Okay. I didn't realize that. Uh, I think it means, some translations say this is a truthful saying. I think what it means is this is something that you can depend on. This is is a dependable statement. It's it's something that means something. And here's the state. Here's what I think he's talking about. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of, of a bishop, he desires a good work. The first desire is a word, desire, there's two words used for desire in those two, I mean, obviously the English word is the same, but the Greek words are different. One of them is talking about a desire that's something inward, and the other one is about a desire that's outward that everybody knows about. So what uh, what it means is if a man pursues the position of a bishop, that's what an outward desire is. Um, you, people see you going for that uh, outward um, desire of a bishop. Then he desires a good work. That's an inward. That means that that his heart's in the right place for it. So it's a good thing for him to desire that. But a bishop then must be blameless. Verse two, right there. He must be blameless, and the word must means must. Uh, if you if you ever read laws or or um, and I'm thinking about like education law, Title Nine, Title Fourteen, things like that. Uh, there are things that you may do and things that you must do, things that you ought to do, things that you should do. And if it says must, it means must. You can you can <coughs> get fined and lose money if it, if you don't do that. So when he a bishop then must be blameless. All these things are, they must be blameless. Um, you, you know why you have to be blameless? 
Because if you're not blameless, somebody will blame you for something. Uh, and I mean, I've experienced that as a pastor, and that's what this bishop, it's uh, presbyteros or presbytery, that's the word, and it just means the leader, the guy that's the leader. And if you're not blameless when you're the leader and you get accused of something, I mean, you will get accused, and hopefully that you have the, you have a, like when somebody's talked something about money. I have a ready, ready ex- defense there. I don't mess with the money. Uh, it's, it's accounted for penny by penny by penny, and it, I can't misuse it or anything else because I have to, if I go and buy paper clips at Walmart or batteries or whatever, I have to account for all those. Um, so you got to be blameless. Otherwise, you'll get blamed for something. The husband of one wife. Literally, the Greek there means a one-woman man. A man of one woman. Um, that's often been talked about with divorce and all that stuff, but there's, there's some other stuff that probably applies better to that. Uh, and some people talk about it means you can only have one wife at a time, but the, the Romans didn't do that. The Greeks didn't do that. Now they did have extra women, you know, they had consorts and all that kind of stuff. And we're familiar with that through the ages. And so it may apply to that. But anyway, one woman at a time is the deal. Uh, temperate, that means literally wineless. The Greek word means wineless. Sober-minded, uh, of good behavior, hospitable. Hospitable means you're a nice guy. Uh, that's if you want to be the leader. you got to be nice. Uh, you you got to have some kindergarten manners. Um, hospitable, able to teach. If you're going to be a leader, you got to be able to teach some. Um, not given to wine. There, there it is again. Uh, some people say temperate doesn't mean wine, but it literally the Greek word is wine less. Not given to wine. That means. Does that mean you're not, you can't drink wine at all? That's not what it says. It means that you don't pursue that, that that's not your, that's not a big thing to you. Um, not given to wine, not violent. I, I do my best on that. I won't say anymore. Not greedy for money. That's actually not in most of the Greek manuscripts, but it doesn't matter really because it's, it goes on, it must be gentle. That word literally means not holding a grudge. That would cut so many people out. Not quarrelsome, uh, non-confrontational, that you don't just make a, make a quarrel out of everything. I'm not going to go so much into all of the rest of it, uh, the, these, the rest of the two chapters, but I'm going th- through this bit by bit. Um, not... Okay, when I said that it wasn't uh, not greedy for money, that phrase is actually not in the oldest manuscripts, but when it's uh, who uh, not quarrelsome, not covetous, that's the same as not greedy for money. Not, not somebody who's driven by a desire for things, because if you want more things, what do you have to have more of? You've got to have more money to have more things. 
Uh, one, and verse four, one who rules his own house well, having his children, uh, okay, and rules his own house well, that goes back to divorce and things like that. If you're not running your house, well, I mean, if you can't make things work out with a wife and all that, then that's not running your house well. Having his children in submission with all reverence, that's part of running your house well. Um, uh, when, what does it mean by children there? Tekna is the word in Greek. It literally means children, children. Once your children of a certain age, you're not, you're not responsible for them anymore. They're, they run their own house. And so, one who rules his house while having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That makes sense, doesn't it? Because the, the household of God is what is the word that's used right there, the church of God. It's the household of God. Not a novice, that means not new, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? That pride goes before a fall, and so a young person is more likely to have pride. At least that's what Paul's idea is. Because Paul, when he got older, he, his pride went away. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside. So not just people inside the church. You have to have a good name in town, too, if you're going to be the pastor. Uh, among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay, so those are all of the qualifications for the presbytera, presbytera, the bishop or the the leader. So the first part of Timothy, First Timothy chapter three, is the qualifications for a leader. Next, it says verse eight. Likewise, deacons and diakonos is the person who serves. Uh, in Acts chapter four. When, when it said that the, the apostles were so busy dealing with widows and orphans and, and dealing out food that they didn't have time to do the work of the ministry. And so they appointed some people who would be servers. Now, uh, th- that's, that's... Jesus said that if you want to be the leader, you've got to be a servant too. So really, everybody's a servant. But the capacity that you operate in is, is different, even the capacity you serve in. So he's saying, likewise, deacons are, the first one was leaders, and the second one is the servants. And so, and it's not a pejorative term, it's not a negative thing. Servants is a good thing. Um, likewise, deacons, diakonos is the word, must be reverent, not Double tongue, reverent just means serious. Not double tongued, and I I only tell you the the Greek words when they mean something. The uh, double tongue, the word there is dialogos, two words. Um, just like two words, so you have a one word for somebody and one word for somebody else. What is, that's a hypocrite, right? You say one thing to one person, something else to another. Not double-tongued, not given too much wine. That's that same word again. Basically, a lot of these are the same as the qualifications for, an, for the elder. 
for the the pastor. Uh, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Um, We'll talk about the mystery of the faith again in a minute. Remember we talked about pure conscience last week, that the conscience is that moral compass that you have. And so it's important, not just for leaders, but for the people who serve that are are known to be the servants. Because the the deacons, the diaconos, now if you grew up in a Baptist church, deacons were the same as elders. And in Baptist churches where, where I grew up, there were no deacons. There were no servant people. They were called deacons, but they were really elders. They were the bosses of the church. They ran everything. Um, that's true in quite a few denominations. Uh, now in most Baptist churches, you have elders and deacons, um, not most, many Baptist churches, you have elders, leaders, and, and servant people. But this is a class of servant people who are identified. They're the people who serve like welcome people at the door. They're the people who um, serve the Lord's Supper. The, those, those are identified leaders. And so they needed to be, have the same kind of qualifications as a leader did. Um, Pure conscience, that's why a conscience, a moral compass was so important. But let these also first be tested. So that being a servant, being identified as a servant was a pretty big deal in the first century church. I mean, Paul's telling him, and I think that what Paul's given him here is the same thing he did in 1 Corinthians, where he was had a laundry list of problems that were in the church. I think Paul's telling Timothy, if you will do these things, you'll you'll solve some of the problems that you have. And this is one of them. But let these also first be tested. Even a even a servant person. You don't put them in don't put them in service without them being tested, and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives, and this word is not necessarily their wives, it means the women deacons. Uh, because there's somebody else that uh, there's someplace else that I, like I think Phoebe was a deaconess, deaconess, and so I think that the eleven may be the partners of the deacons, which could be their wives, or it could be women who are serving as the deacons. Also, they have to be reverent, not slanderers. Slanders. The Greek word there is diabolos. Anybody know what <laughs> that means? Uh, it's the it's the Spanish word for devil. Um, uh, it, uh, the word where we get diabolical or devilish from. Uh, but he says they can't be that. They can't be diabolos. Uh, not slanders. Temperate. Faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. Same as, that's the exact same wording as the elder ruling their children in their own house as well for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus these things I write to you though I hope to come to you shortly but if I'm delayed I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. Um, 
talks about the house of God being a pillar. That a pillar is something that people can see and, and, and ground of the truth. The word ground there is an architectural term that's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And it means foundation. It means prepared ground that everything sits on. Uh, that he's saying that's what the church of God is. And I think that what's built on that is the, the big C church. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he's got a poem here. And if you look in your Bible, it's indented. And um, I, I believe that it was a known hymn of the faith at the time. It's actually written down in places outside of the New Testament. It's written down in the... Um, the works of the early fathers. It's even written down by some historians, Roman historians who are writing down stories about the church and it's listed in there. And here it is. God, so it's a statement of faith, a hymn of faith. And I think it was generally accepted. Everybody knew this and recognized it when they saw it, especially Timothy. God was manifested in the flesh. How was he manifested? How was God manifested in the flesh? Jesus, Jesus right? Justified in the spirit, that could mean literally like his baptism in the spirit. Seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, and then received up in glory. That's this uh, rhyming, essentially a hymn that Paul uh, gives to Timothy. And then chapter four starts. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. In latter times. Now, how many of you know that the, the times that we're in are much latter than the times that Timothy was in? Um, and I, we can recognize some things here as we, as we, that's applying to where we are right now and where the church is right now. In latter times, some will depart from the faith. That's apostasy that gets talked about in all of Paul's letters uh, nearly. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirit and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The whole idea of, I think that's, not two different things. It's all kind of rolled into one. And so the, the doctrine of demons, there's two ideas that, with, that that applies to. And I think it's both of those things. It's not one or the other. Number one is that there were actual, he was a, saying some of the teachings that are coming are literally teachings of demons. That, that the people that are teaching those are demons themselves. And then... The other idea is that sometimes when you get caught up in some of those teachings, it's demonic. Even if it's, even if it's not some heresy, that to get hung up in something like how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. I mean, dumb arguments and, and dumb pursuit of knowledge for the, just for the sake of knowledge, that that is a demonic, uh, idea. Um, Doctrines of demons speaking lies. That word lies there is pseudo logon. Pseudo logos. 
So logos is word and pseudo is false or a fake word. And so some of this stuff, he said, you're just getting up on, on words that are nothing but words. They're not the logos word, the truth word, which is what Jesus is. Um, Jesus, that's what John refers to Jesus as when he calls him, in the beginning was the word, that word's logos. And this is pseudo logos, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. That sometimes you get so much caught up into those things that your conscience doesn't even work anymore. Um, it's like that seared with a hot iron. That's what they did when they cauterized a wound, when they burned it to keep it from bleeding. If you have, you can still have surgery and they do that now. Um, seared with an iron, hard iron. And here's some samples of those ideas that they were teaching. Three, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So those are two things that they were teaching a big deal, uh, making a big deal about, I think. Uh, samples that were prerequisites for salvation, which is anything in addition to Jesus. Now, how many of us have grown up in, in denominations where there were a lot of things added to stuff you had to do besides Jesus? Uh, all the things, no drinking, no dancing. That was a big thing um, for me growing up. But there, we grew up, people who are part of our church grew up having to wear dresses all the time, having to uh, whatever. Uh Anything that's added to it. but So apparently they were forbidding to marry. But what has Paul taught on, on that? He said, you know, no matter where you're at in your life, whether you're a widow, whether you're a, um, uh, whether you're a young person, and said if you burn with desire, go and marry somebody. Don't get caught up into um, ungodly sexual practices. So forbidding to marry was completely wrong teaching as far as Paul was concerned. And to abstain from foods, we all know about Cornelius and the Peter and the uh, sheep that came down from heaven. That was commonly taught by the, the, the apostles. So the whole idea of just uh, Acts chapter 2, following the apostles' teachings and, and prayer and all those and eating together and... Uh, these people were getting way far off of that. Uh, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse four, for every creation of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So there don't get hung up on all those things. But don't eat with the seventh day. And, seventh, and what? Don't eat with the seventh day Adventist. Oh, <laughs> I actually was thinking about that because they make such a big deal about what you, what you eat and don't eat and when and all those kind of things. But but when he's saying for all that stuff sanctified by the word of God and prayer, I think he's talking specifically or especially about food and marriage. He said you're getting caught up all in all that junk and it's just junk. Nothing but junk. What reasons were they given back then not to get married? Who knows? Maybe... Uh, Maybe because they weren't married and they thought everybody, should, I mean, I've been in church and uh, many times and somebody comes up with an idea and whatever that idea is, they think everybody ought to be doing that. Well, the Catholic Church messed it up. 
Well, well that's yeah. right. Not until 1300. That's when they come up with that idea. And I have some ideas about that, but I'm not going to get caught yeah, up. probably not. <laughs> uh, sanctified by the Word of God prayer. Verse um, 6. It may have had roots in, you know, thinking if you're not married and don't have family to take care of, you can do more, you know, Give ministry. more. Well, we have Paul talk about that, it, but he's talking, this is forbidden in marriage, though. It's not that's right. Choice. Forbidding. Forbidding. That, yeah, exactly. that's the problem. And not too many people can make the choice to say, um, to stay uh, celibate. Right. I mean, there's reason, there's there's logical reasons why it would be good for missionaries to not be married. You don't. You're not subjecting your children to all kinds of things and all. But yeah, and there and there was a place that he told people it's not a good time to get married. That's right. It's probably getting close to seventy A.D. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> not a good. T- not good timing. But that's different than being forbidden to yeah, marry. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. correct. So verse um, six. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So he Paul's saying, go back to your the beginnings of your faith. Go back to the stuff your grandma taught you and all those things. Verse seven, but reject profane and old wives' tales. Profane is unholy. Profane, which that may have been a whole category unto itself, um, which he may have been referring to the even forbidding to marry. And all wives' fables. And I think that Timothy knew what he was talking about. This may have been shorthand, and Timothy knew exactly. And if anybody else read Timothy's letter, they probably knew exactly what he was talking about. But he's saying a lot of the stuff they're talking about is just silly. Old, It's like old wives' tales. You know we've had old wives' tales forever. Um, that's like step on a crack and you break your mama's back, dumb things like that. He's saying those are just silly. And I think it's a dig against those kind of teachers. Exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. And bodily exercise, he may have been talking about jumping jacks and different kind of calisthenics, but he was also talking about anything that we do to our body, um, what, how we feed it, and uh, all the different kinds of things that we do. Saying um, that profits a little. Why? Because it's temporary. The food you eat is just temporary. Uh, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. So he's talking about, think about eternal things. Don't get stuck on things that don't even, that aren't even going to last. I mean, and think about how, what good advice that is. How, how many of us worry about things that in a year or five years or especially 10 years from now, we're not even going to remember and they, and they torment us during, in the present. He said, don't worry about those things. Verse nine, this, uh, this is a faithful saying. There it is again. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, I, I think that verse nine there, he's talking about the stuff he's saying before that. This is a faithful saying, not everything after that. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. What end? Things that are eternal. It's everything before. We trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. What does he mean there by God is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe? Jesus paid the price for all men, but only the ones who believe actually receive benefit. Right. I'm not sure especially is the best word to use there. Um, primarily might have been something better, but he's saying teach those things. Don't get hung up on all this other junk. Absolute junk. Okay, and so uh, he's talked about the qualifications of deacons and of elders, and now he's talking of he's encouraging Timothy, uh, and it's very familiar words that get quoted a lot, um, when we, especially when we're talking about children, but verse 12 says, let no one despise your youth, because he was only 30 years old. Does anybody remember being 30? Yep. I remember being 30 and sitting in business meetings. I remember being a minister and being 30 years old and getting treated like a kid and nothing you said made much difference. Um, if you weren't, especially in a Baptist church, if you weren't at least 60 years old, you didn't have a right to speak and nobody would listen to you. Now, once you got to be about 40 or 50, you, you got to have a little bit more weight to things. But he's saying, don't let anybody despise your youth because Timothy was probably only about 30 years old at the time. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In spirit isn't in most of the, in most of the uh, manuscripts, but it doesn't really matter. He's saying one word, that means literally the words that you, the, how you speak, and then how you act in your conduct, walk your talk, uh, in love, in spirit, in faith, maybe in purity. Don't be, I mean, we, we know what purity is if we think about impure things. And it being in Ephesus and the temple of Diana was there, there was a lot of, I mean, it would be just like being in Las Vegas or Hollywood or something like that. Half-naked people running around all the time and encouraging you to be, uh, to do things that were, that were ungodly. So he's in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. What is reading? The, the Greek word there is literally the second, uh, second knowing. So it's to know a second time. So if you read something that you've heard and you read it again and you read it again, you're, you're getting it over and over. Um, so you're reading exhortation. What's that? That that means encouraging or or run faster, keep going. That's exhortation and doctrine, which is teaching. So those are the three things. Give give attention to these: reading, exhortation, and teaching. What's what's Paul talking about to Timothy there? I think he's talking about the public meeting. In your public meeting, focus on these three things. And don't get all off on anything else. 
Uh, because if you'll read, and what were they reading? They were reading the Old Testament, portions of it at least that they had. Actually, the churches probably didn't have a copy of the Torah, uh, but they had all the letters that were written and they had copies of things. Um, if you've read the, uh, I mean, if you've seen the movie, The Chosen, they, they've got little stuff that they've written down and they're learning from, from those just jotted down verses that they had. So read those in your service, in your public service. Ex- exhortation, encourage people with the word uh, and to doctrine. What, what was the teaching? In Acts chapter two, it says what it is, the, the teachings of the apostles. And that was everything that Jesus had told. Um, by, by the time that Paul is uh, writing to Timothy, there may have been little pieces of scripture that were being passed around. The book of Mark may have been already written and, uh, and was being circulated. Uh, so they had some stories about Jesus to talk about. That Paul is saying, stick to this stuff. Don't, don't go off on wild goose chases and more, uh, what do you call, uh, old wives tales. And I think the old wives' tales may have been like arguments that the the Pharisees used to have with each other. Uh, the Masoretes were a, a group of um, teachers of the law that, and they had written this stuff down. Uh, they actually invented new ways to do Hebrew and everything else, but all this stuff is written down in Hebrew. And um, they... They just argued about different things. How big God is. Is God big enough that he can do this or that? Um, that I don't know if y'all have ever heard the silly paradoxical things like if God is all powerful, can he make a rock that he cannot lift? I mean, that's the kind of things that they argued about. And he said, that's, I, when he talks about old wives tales, I think that's some of the things that he's talking about. He said, don't get hung up on that. Read scripture Exhort people and stick to the apostles' doctrine, the teachings. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Uh, verse 14, do not let, neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership or the leaders. That's presbytera, again, um, eldership right there. Timothy, when he was set in as a minister of the gospel, uh, and, and sent to Ephesus. He, they laid hands on him, the leaders from one of the churches, and I think that, uh, uh, that Paul was probably involved in this too. Um, it was a gift that was given, and that when Paul says, remember that and be faithful to it, don't neglect it, I, it's like an encouragement to come back to that how you started. Uh, and that's, that should be an encouragement to any of us because you can get farther into your walk and you almost forget about those things. You can almost forget about how fired up you were when you're a new Christian. Um, I, I mean, I had professed, when I was ordained to the ministry and had professors from college 
actually lay hands on me and pray for me. It sounds weird to, when you talk about a Baptist ordination that, that they laid hands on us, but they did. Laid hands on us and individually prayed for me. And I had three, four of my professors there when, when all that happened, and that was down in Houston. Um, I remember that, and it's, very, it's still meaningful to me. Uh, don't neglect that gift that's in you given to you by prophecies of speaking forth with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Don't get hung up on everything else. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, the teaching. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you? Again, he's talking about save yourself for eternity, the future, but also you'll save yourself for right now and you won't get led, off, led astray by all this stuff, the diabolical things. Um, just stick to the basics. Timothy, don't go astray. That's all. Any comments? Any questions? Look, a lot of the church needs to reread this book. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. It's a lot of without preaching from it anymore. They caught up in all kinds of fables and ideas and new prophecies and new yeah. words and new testaments, a lot of stuff. And just looking for something new. Um, I'm if you if you read commentaries and I mean I don't do it anymore even but I had to when I was in college read scholarly journals and they come up with the silliest junk you've ever heard of um, in chapter 4 in the very beginning there where he said that all the stuff that's sanctified by the word of God in prayer um, and part of that applied to the idea of marriage and um, we're getting some really, really weird ideas about marriage. Marriage is sanctified. It is set apart. It's invented by God for a purpose. And it's that purpose is being perverted in our culture right now. And, and I think it's well-meaning people wanting to be loving, but they're inventing things and profaning what God sanctified in marriage. Uh, so that's probably one of the doctrines of demons that he's talking about, which had uh, all the not not getting married or getting married to the wrong kind of people or to, uh, all the things, inventing something that is not what God meant it to be. Uh, and now, that's, it's now it's polygamy or I uh, heard a story about a husband and wife. They're both transgenders now. So they're staying in the marriage, but they're trading roles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get Pam started on that because we've had friends that somebody's trans only... She's really a girl, but she's dating a person that's also trans who is really a boy. So it's really just a boy and a girl. But they're, they, it's a, such a complicated thing. Um, 
bless their hearts. And I really do, I mean that, literally bless their hearts. They're so deceived because that is a diabolical, that is a demonic idea. And they're being enabled by a so-called loving, I mean, and this has happened in churches and I'm not going to name any names or anything, but there are leaders of the church that we're all familiar with that are going, well, yeah, you know, I've had to make some adjustments in my life and my belief system and all that stuff. I'm not going to name any names. I'm really, really trying hard right now not to name any names. But there, there's, if I said them, you'd know who they are. And I think you'd be shocked to know how they've changed their tune. And they've only changed it because of the pressure. Paul is telling Timothy, don't change. Right. Go back to the basics. Oh my gosh. Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love. Is that what Jimmy, <laughs> Jerry Jeff Walker sang? Or let's go to Lukenbach, Texas. Who did that one? Somebody knows. Oh. Yeah, somebody, nobody knows. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Father, I just lift, lift up our nation and the church. Um, that we could follow Paul's advice to Timothy and go back to the basics, um, the things that we know to be true and not be led astray by all the junk that passes for um, gospel now. A teaching that is not only contrary to the word, but just takes away from the sufficiency of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, May we stick to our guns when it, when it comes to being a people of faith that, that come back to Acts chapter 2, believing in the apostles' doctrine and never get caught up by a church or the churches that want to add things to it. But may we always act in love. Bless us and, and watch over us and keep us healthy during these next few days of crazy weather and, um, and all the driving. Just keep us safe in Jesus' name. Amen.